Today I'm preaching from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus compared the Spirit to the wind. This was probably the closest analogy he could come up with. The wind, like the Spirit, is an invisible person and an invisible force. You can't see him, but he's there. You can't hold him, but you can see the effects of the wind. He moves, and we are called to hoist ourselves and move with him. Because Christianity is not a formula. It is a mystery. It is an adventure. As mysterious and powerful as the wind itself. We moderns try to take the mystery and adventure out of life, even though we long for those things. That's the irony here. We go to movies that are about adventure and, and mystery. We, we read books that are about adventure and mystery. And yet, when it comes to our own lives, we try to make things as predictable as possible, and we try to make our religion as predictable as possible, and we try to make God as predictable as possible. Os Guinness was once speaking in Australia, and afterwards a Japanese CEO approached him, and he said to Guinness, when I see a Buddhist monk, I meet a holy man in touch with another world. When I meet a Western missionary, I feel like I'm meeting a business manager. This is not the way Jesus taught us. Our faith is based on staggering, mysterious realities. Words escape us when we try to describe them. How can we wrap our minds around the realities of the Trinity, of the Incarnation, of heaven, of hell, what transpired on the cross or the resurrection or the Spirit himself and how he moves? When Jesus told Nicodemus he must be born again, the rational, logical part of Nicodemus was floored. How can this be, he said. How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot re-enter his mother's womb. To which Jesus responded, Nicodemus, you don't have a clue. What I am talking about is a reality that goes beyond your words or your earthly logic or your earthly experience. The fact that even the, the term born again has almost turned into a religious cliche totally misses what Jesus was getting at. Jesus did not mean, he meant for this term to represent a great, great coming of God in a way that humans could not predict. He never meant for it to be a bumper sticker or four easy steps to salvation. That missed entirely what Jesus was saying. Being born again is a result of God's power moving in ways that are far beyond we can figure, what we can figure or what meets the eye. Mark Buchanan writes, the wind blows wherever it pleases. 
Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus, who struggles with his literalism and his rationalism, to understand. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is, uh, is everyone born of the Spirit? This is no formula. This is the anti-formula. This is a description of the in-breaking and surprising move of God in all of our lives. This is something we can't work for, work up, predict, direct. It doesn't slot neatly into a program. You just hear it coming and fling yourself headlong into the hurricane. But this, unfortunately for us moderns, leaves too much unsettled, doesn't it? Too much is out of our control. Too much is out of our programming. So we've taken refuge from mystery and unpredictability in numbers, formulas, three-point sermons, seven steps on how to grow a church, ten steps on how to have miracles, 30 steps to a better you. We have become masters of the how-to manual. We have lost the wonder of what God wants us to have about when His Spirit moves. Brothers and sisters, we have created far too many substitutes for the wind. The new literature of church growth often leads us to believe that the kingdom of God is built because of our ingenuity and our smarts. We think the church is built by public relations experts. Or, you know, we have a lot of churches now that that lure people in with everything but what is spiritual. They have food courts and the best videos and games for children and youth groups, bands that are, in, they are professional and slick multimedia presentations. When the spirit moves, when the wind blows, you don't need the latest in technology. When the spirit blows, you don't need to grab hold of the latest fad in church growth. When the spirit moves, we don't need to borrow and copy something else from Willow Creek or Saddleback again. When the Spirit moves, those things become irrelevant. When the wind blows, there's an air of expectancy in a worship service. There's a sense that the, of the presence of God saturating and moving among us. Words of Scripture and from the pulpit co- come with a force that is inexplicable. They fly at us, hit us at the center of our hearts, and we are changed. Loving God becomes easy because the Holy Spirit is pouring Christ's love directly into our hearts from heaven. Things we thought were so important or so insurmountable take their proper perspective when seen in the light of His glory. Praise, when the Spirit blows, becomes as natural as breathing. Our passion for Christ is ignited as the winds of the Spirit fan the flames in our hearts to white hot. Miracles seem natural when the Spirit blows. This is our priority as a church. It should be the priority of every church. It is to hunger for the wind. It is for Christ to be our wealth, for the Word of God to be our food, for eternal life brought by the Spirit to be the air we breathe. Finley Edge said, People can endure anything in religion except the absence of vitality, the absence of something or someone visiting from another reality. We need nothing less than the Spirit of God blowing through here. And if we don't have it, any church shrivels up eventually. You can only fake it so long. So how do we get our sails up? How do we catch the wind? The first step is to expect the wind to blow anywhere and everywhere. There's no part of our lives the wind cannot and does not touch. Columbia researcher Sheila 
a Yungar, found that the average person makes about 70 conscious decisions a day. What to eat, what to wear, what to see, what to say, where to go, what to do. That's 25,550 decisions a year. Over 70 years, that's 1,788,500 decisions. You put all those 1,788,500 decisions together, and that is who you are this morning. We are invited by Jesus to hold up ourselves while navigating those decisions, to realize the Spirit sees possibilities in every moment and in every circumstance. Stephen Coe studies successful entrepreneurs, and he says successful entrepreneurs excel in something called, quote, opportunity alertness, unquote. They look at the same circumstances as everyone else, but they notice opportunities that other people miss. Great entrepreneurs are alert, waiting, continually receptive to something that may turn up, says Co. We as Christians are called to do precisely the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We are called to divine opportunity alertness. To ask ourselves in every situation that really matters, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do here? Say here. Give here. Love in some way here. Pray here. What are you up to, Holy Spirit, that you want me to respond and participate with? That's what holding up your sails looks like. If we want to experience more of the Spirit of God in our lives, then we have to be on the lookout for where the, what the Spirit is doing or where He is moving. Our aim must be to sense, to feel, to hear the Spirit of God in all of life, not just certain religious activities. Because, brothers and sisters, all of life is supposed to be a spiritual activity. The Spirit is moving. The question is, are we responding? Are we listening? Max Lucado said, I ran into a friend at a convenience store. It helps to know that my mind was on the hot political topic of immigration. I was listening to the radio as I was running errands. He said every program was loaded with people and their opinions regarding a recently imposed federal ruling on border policy. He said all I wanted that morning was a coffee and a breakfast taco. The Holy Spirit gave me more than I wanted. I was glad to see my friend shake his hand and ask about life. He's a cheerful fellow, always quick with a joke or a laugh. But today, said Lucado, he was neither. He was solemn. He didn't tell me why, and I didn't ask. But when the Holy Spirit gave me, what is that word? Push. By the way, we call it nudge around here, but I'll accept push. He said, I was already out the door, coffee in one hand, car keys in the other, when I thought about his wife. Somehow I knew she was undocumented. How I knew I could not recall, but I knew, and I knew, knew I needed to talk to this man. I did not want to do so. I had a busy day ahead for one thing, and I didn't know what to say for another. Besides, what if he didn't want to talk? What if the issue was too personal? What if I found out something I really didn't want to know? I had my reasons, but the Holy Spirit didn't ask my opinion. The prompting was so strong that to regard it, disregard it would have been disobedience. He was still in the sore. So I walked back in, said Lucado. Hey, uh, I, was, I was just wondering, all this stuff about immigration, you guys doing okay? Within a moment, his eyes watered. He looked around to see if anyone was watching or listening. 
Why do you ask? Just curious. Actually, he said, we're in trouble. He'd been told to keep his wife indoors lest she be snatched off the streets and taken back to Mexico. He'd been hustled by a, a dirty immigration lawyer. He was low on money, out of options, and increasingly convinced that the world was against him. It just so happened that Lucado had a few ideas. And within a week, he had found honest counsel, resources to pay the bill, and reason to sleep well at night. All because the Holy Spirit gave him a push, and he listened. In this story, did you notice when Lucado felt a push from the Holy Spirit? Remember when? Getting coffee and a taco. He was not in some deep meditative state. He was not having daily devotions. He was not in church. You see, why do we go to church? Why do we study scripture? Why do we pray? Why do we fellowship? We do all these spiritual disciplines I just mentioned so that we can learn to feel and identify the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our spirits, in our souls, so that we can feel the wind of the Spirit wherever we go, whatever we do. You don't just come here to get your innards tickled. You come here to be prepared to find God in the world and work with him. The other thing I want to point out in this story is that Lucado obeyed the push from the wind of the Spirit. He obeyed even though he had doubts. He obeyed even though he didn't know what to say. He obeyed even though he was busy and didn't want his schedule interrupted. How many of us feel the pushes from the wind of the Spirit and do nothing? We talk ourselves out of what the Spirit wants done. We're afraid of making a mistake or looking foolish or, or, or. You can fill in the blank. And slowly, imperceptibly, we take ourselves down after a while. We feel nothing after a while. The wind, the wind still blows, but it doesn't matter because we tuned the Spirit out of our lives a long time ago. We quit paying attention to the Spirit's nudges. We quit receiving what the Spirit kept trying to give us. And now our faith simply holds to correct theological notions, but the Spirit's life, His power, His guidance are no longer real to us. Or even worse, some Christians just want enough of the Spirit to get to heaven or for the Spirit to be available for 911 crises. But they don't want the Spirit interfering with their agendas. They don't want the Holy Spirit throwing monkey wrenches into their plans. They intentionally pull down their sails because they know, everybody intuitively knows that if I'm really open to the Spirit, there's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on. When you feel the push of God's wind, obey. You don't have to understand it. Obey. You don't have to figure it out. Obey. The Spirit almost starts, by the way, small. That's how He trains us to feel the wind. He will start nudging us to small acts of kindness or encouraging words to someone we know or a prayer burden for a friend. He will nudge us to forgive somebody that we supposedly love or learning to confront in love people in close relationships. Faithfulness to the Spirit starts small. Remember that. Jesus started small. Before Jesus cast out demons, healed the sick, caused the blind to see, walked on water, raised the dead, Jesus spent 30 years being trained by the Spirit on how to be an obedient son, a loving brother, a good friend, a faithful Jew, an excellent carpenter, 
an honest business person, a regular worshiper at the local synagogue, a student of Scripture. 30 years learning to sense the Spirit's leading in all of life, including and especially the small, ordinary stuff of life. That is the Spirit's training ground for you. Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, saved the world. But he learned the ways of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, at home and at work as a carpenter. Did you ever think of carpentry as something that takes you into the depths of the Spirit? Do you want to learn to walk in the Spirit? Let me give you a suggestion that I read about in the last six months to help you jumpstart your spiritual walk from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is one of the great mystics of the 20th and 21st century. He's written many books on spirituality. He was a professor at Southern Cal. And someone once asked Dallas Willard, if a person wants to grow spiritually, where should they start? Read the Bible? Pray more? Go to church? Dallas's answer was completely disarming and unexpected. He said, if you really want to grow spiritually... Do the next right thing you know you ought to do. Now, when you try that, he said, you may wind up going to church because you're going to need some help. Nothing will drive you into the kingdom of God like trying to do the next right thing that is in front of you because you'll need help and you will get it because that is where God is. Once after hearing Dallas Willard give a talk about doing the next right thing, a man approached him and said, I have a rebellious son. I can't help but blowing up at him. Dallas told him to simply promise his wife that the next time he blew, it at, blew up at his son, he would give her $5,000. He said, that'll take care of the problem. Often doing the next right thing will demand a power that we don't have. Just like with an alcoholic who decides the next right thing is to not take a drink, willpower cannot create holy living. Success will require a new way of life in which we will need to access strength from a power greater than ourselves. The beauty of do the, right, the next right thing right in front of, you, front of you is that often it reveals that we're unable to do the next right thing right in front of us. And that realization drives us to seek God, and there we find Him, and there the Spirit waits for us to give us what we lack. Do the next right thing. You know what it is. I don't have to tell you. You know what it is. You know that little grudge you've been nursing, you know? You know what God, you, deal, with, deal with it right there. You, it's, you've been mad for weeks. Deal with it. Or that, you know, that temper you keep losing with the kids. It's time to let the Spirit in on it. Or that lie you keep telling yourself and other people. Please hear this. Don't try to become a spiritual giant. Don't say, well, if I memorize the Bible or I go to seminary or I go to a monastery. No, that's not how you'll grow. Deal with what's right in front of you and you will celebrate immeasurably your spiritual growth. Again, we learn to feel the wind of the Spirit in the small stuff of life right in front of us. Do the next right thing and it will drive you to your knees and the Spirit will become alive if you spend enough time there. Jesus said that when the wind blows, you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. In other words, real spiritual life should be full of surprises. 
Oswald Chambers said, the hallmark of the Spirit-led life is surprise. Or let me put it this way. If we aren't surprised periodically by who we have become or where God has taken us or what we're doing, then God's Spirit has not been in charge of our lives. We have. Everyone who has had an encounter with a living God got their plans changed. Have you noticed? Just ask Abraham, who planned, already had his retirement plan, and suddenly God shows up and says, pack up your bags, we're moving. Where to? I'm not telling you. How long? I'm not telling you. What should I do? Not telling you. Just go. Or Moses. He just, you know, after 40 years of tending sheep, he must have thought he was going crazy when a shrub starts talking to him and says, oh, you're going to be the deliverer of my people. Or David, out in the fields tending sheep, and the next thing he knows, he's anointed to be the king of Israel. Or Paul, who is going to persecute the church and kill Christians, and the next thing he knows, there's a bright light in front of him, and he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Ask them if their, their lives were changed and rearranged if God changes people's destinies. When I look back on my life, I realize I've been surprised over and over and over again by grace blowing in my life. I was surprised 46 years ago on June the 25th when I climbed into a Chevrolet station wagon intending to get high, get me some weed, and I came out of that car saved and a child of God. Surprise! Surprise! I was surprised when one day I was uh, just minding my own business and I heard a voice say, I want you to preach. And I looked around and there was nobody talking to me. And I ran from it. I repressed it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And then I went to Emmanuel College. And they have religious services at the start of each semester. And I sat down in a pew by myself. And a total stranger came up to me and sat beside me. And he said, you know, God called me to preach. And I wouldn't do it. And he said to me, after all the things I've done for you, why won't you do this for me? And I went, crap. He found me. No. I felt like Jonah and of the well just sat in the pew right beside me. And that day I accepted my call to preach before the service ever started, before a word was spoken or a note ever played. And I sat there with the well beside me and we blubbered together. And I'm surprised. I'm surprised to be up here, to be honest. I'm a Virginia boy, living north of the Mason-Dixon line. I was taught all my life, this was a bad place full of Yankees. And I was surprised, or others were surprised, because I've never told this story to the entire congregation, but before I came and interviewed at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, I interviewed at another church. And... The bishop told me, look, this other church, it was considered a plum church. It was a lot bigger than this church and in a better neighborhood than this church with a lot more financial resources than this church. And, and, you know, and they were picky. And the bishop said, now look, I'm going to take you there for a rehearsal because they are going to reject you. And not only are they going to reject you, they're going to procrastinate in rejecting you. They'll leave you hanging out there. He said, they never make decisions quick. Well, I went and I did the interview and to the bishop's astonishment, they invited me that very night to come and be their pastor. He thought it was a miracle. The people on that board thought it was a miracle. 
But there was just one small problem. On the way to this church, the bishop started telling me the church I was going to interview after I was rejected at the first church. And it was this church he started describing. And as he described this church, the Spirit fell on me. And I knew this was where I was coming. Before the bishop, before the board. And so, and, and, but the bishop, and I love John Barks. He was a great bishop, but he did something he shouldn't have done. He said, you have to, when I told him that I felt called to the other church, he, he was flabbergasted. He, you know, I could see it on his face. Why, you young idiot, you don't know what you're doing. And he said, here's what you, you have to make a decision about the first church before you can even interview at the second church. And I learned later that that wasn't quite kosher. <laughs> that later, I should have been able to interview at both churches and then make a decision. But he was trying to take care of a headache and to straighten me out. And so I said, okay, I'll take a week. I came back to Virginia and prayed for it about a week. And I knew that I was coming to Harrisburg. And he gave me, I don't know if it's a dream or a vision, but in the middle of the night, I saw a street, two streets intersecting. I didn't know what that meant. But when John Byers was driving me to interview at the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church, we came to that intersection and cold chills went up and down my spine because I realized where God wanted me to go was at the end of that road. And it was this church. Woo! <laughs> Praise the Lord. I, and I still remember. I still remember. I, I, uh, I turned down the other church and I came to this church and I interviewed and there were about 20 or 25 people. And I thought, this must be a huge church to have a board this big. I didn't realize it was half the church showed up. And Rod Chamberlain, I remember him. He took out a scroll. It was three or four or five feet long. and had writing all up and down the scroll. And he held it up and he said, we have a few questions for you. And my first thought was, you people are crazy. And my second thought was, I'll fit in nicely here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know. And then the first year I was here, Beth and Glenn Fry and Dr. John Kreider and David Miller, what is now Paxton Ministries, it used to be the Messiah Village, and then Messiah Village moved out, and, and the church sold what was the old Messiah Village down here on Paxton Street. They sold it to a slumlord, and he acted like a slumlord, and finally they had to foreclose on him. And to make a long story short, at the end of a process, there were five of us who said, why don't you give us this property? And the church said, no, we can't give you the property. We'll go bankrupt if we give you the property. They said, we will only accept a half a million dollars. And we want $100,000 payments for five years in a row. And at 6% interest, take it or leave it. And I said, well, it's leaving time. <laughs> and I went to the beach. And unknown to me, the other four got together. And they decided to buy Paxton Ministries for half a million dollars at $100,000 a pop at 6% interest. I had no knowledge of it. And when I got back, 
they called me. David Miller called me up. And he said, guess what? I said, what? He said, we've decided to buy the property. And I said, who is we? And he said, the five of us. And I said, really? And I said, where are we getting the money? He said, oh, the Lord will provide. Yeah, right. (laughs) And they said, oh, one more thing. We elected you chairman of the board. (laughs) I now knew how the the captain of the Titanic felt at a certain point in time. Again, to make a long, long story short, God provided every cent in four years. Half a million dollars, $100,000 a year at 6% interest. And now Paxton Ministries is growing and it continues to grow and thrive. Praise the Lord, I had the front row seat of a miracle. And then, you know, almost 20 years ago, our church came to a crossroads, much like it is coming to a crossroads now. We were 100% white in a 75% African-American community. And I knew that this could not be sustained. You you have to reach your own community. You, You have to. And so I called the church to prayer, a year's worth of prayer. And uh, after a year, nothing happened. After a year, no guidance came, no word came. And I was very frustrated. And I was talking to Louis Studo in the old church. And I said, I said, I'm so frustrated about this. We've been praying for a year. And I pointed up to the ceiling and I said, we, I, we're trying to do your will. How about a little help down here? And at that precise moment, while my finger was in the air, there was a knock on the door, and it was James Roach. James' family lived a half a block from our church. He was African-American. And he said, my wife Mary was praying, and God told us to come to your church, become members, and start serving him here. Is that all right with you? And in my eloquence, I went, uh, uh. Surprise! Surprise! All of this has been a surprise. And, you know, I'm just shocked. If you knew what I grew up in, I grew up in a racist part, really racist part of the South, and my parents were both openly racist, and now I'm pastoring a multiracial, multicultural church and can't imagine myself doing anything else. Surprise! The wind can take you all kinds of places you don't expect. And to be honest, I'm surprised to be here 38 years as your pastor. 38 years! When I got here, I was young and good-looking. You saw it. You saw it. By the way, when, when, when Pastor uh, Lindo, you know, When I came in this morning, I was feeling happy-go-lucky and free, and then I saw that video, and it crushed me. Four reasons why. The first is, it's really hard to watch, have a slideshow and watch yourself deteriorate year after year after year. The second thing is, I was so moved watching my sons grow up, 
stage by stage by stage. I love them so much, and I'm so proud of them. The, the third thing was looking at you guys and looking at all the memories we share together and all the things we've gone through. Wow. Wow, Pastor Cedra. Wow, Pastor Linda. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And, you know, I, and, and seeing saints in those slides that are already waiting for us in heaven now. Vita Yoder and others. I can't. Wow. Wow. It has gone so fast. It has gone so fast. 38 years. And the fourth thing that crushed me, of course, as I, as I watched those videos was, was looking at Mary Lou and Wanda Heisey playing the accordions in the church. It, I'll tell the old joke one more time. A man was going across town, and a friend said, will you take my accordion all the way across town? And he said, okay. And then he goes and he stops in a seedy part of town in order to pick up something from a store. And when he comes out, to his horror, the back windshield has been smashed. And he looks in the car, and there are two accordions. <laughs> Horrors! <laughs> I love Mary Lou and Wanda anyway. <laughs> and to be honest, 38 years as your pastor, I have a question. How could you stand it? <laughs> How could you stand it? Oh, and now we come to another crossroads. When we came to a crossroads 20 years ago, we prayed. We prayed because we believed God would lead us and the wind would blow. Guess what? The wind is still blowing, and God will still lead us. We called for a year of prayer. You know why we need to do it? We have a church full of brilliant people. But I got news for you. Jesus is smarter than all the rest of us put together. And it is his church. And it is his spirit. And our goal is not for brilliant people to come up with great ideas. Our goal is to discern which way the wind is blowing. It is to put up our sails and follow where he takes us. And I have no doubt. I have no doubt that he's called Pastor Hank. I have no doubt that Pastor Hank has the same philosophy. Our job is to hold up our sails. The Spirit cannot be programmed. He can't be directed. But he can be discerned, and he can be responded to in obedience. That's our calling. God help us all keep our sails up, and catch the wind again because he's been faithful has he not been faithful this what i see this morning is a supernatural entity the only thing holding us together it's not class it's not education it's not race it's not ethnicity the only thing holding us together is jesus christ and his spirit and our calling is to keep on listening sensing discerning together God, help us all to keep ourselves up and catch the wind. And if we do, don't be surprised if we are repeatedly surprised. Get used to surprises. Because the Spirit will take us places we never dreamed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
I want you to stand. I want the worship team and the intercessors to come forward. And as a symbol of our sails held up, I want us to hold our, our hands up like this. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we hold up our sails as individuals. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide us. Teach us. Help us to do the next right thing. Help us, Lord, to become good at discerning the way the wind is blowing. Change us in the process. And secondly, Lord, as a church, we hold our hands up together. We ask you to take this church where you want to take us. Lord, fill this church with your spirit. Guide us. You have guided us in the past, and you are going to guide us in the future. Because, Lord, it's about you. It's not about how smart we are. Bless us as we go into the future. Thank you, Jesus, for the wind that blows and has never stopped blowing. Fill ourselves full. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.